Uh, you know, guys, we have spent, I think, three, perhaps four, I think it's three semesters, I call them, on Romans 8. And you, you get so close to Romans 8, and you're, you know, I'm trying to take you, you know, to every little nuance of, of the text, that you, you, it's, it's very possible to miss the grandeur of what the Apostle Paul is trying to accomplish in Romans 8. Um, this whole chapter, Romans 8, is set aside to demonstrate to you the, the, uh, the great principle of verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the, that's the theme of the chapter, and he, and he spends, you know, 39 verses <clears throat> to, uh, to, 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 to try and give you every bit of grounds possible for you to, um, to sink down into the beauties of, of the finality and security of your own soul. And, you know, this is the kind of thing that makes me love this book. Because I, I think, um, you know, we Christians are we're, uh, accused of a lot of things. And one of the things we're accused of is, is beating people over the head with the Bible. You're a bunch of Bible thumpers and, and all this business. When, in fact, what this book is, is this, it, it's not really so much this um, treatise of doctrinal precisions. What it is, is a, is a presentation of a redemptive story and the, and the provisions then that are made for the redeemed in how to cope with the vicissitudes of life. And guys, if there is, it's things like Romans 8 that make me believe, there's a lot of other things, but it's things like Romans 8 that make me, that, that increase my confidence in the, in the inspiration of this book. Why would... Why would Paul set aside a whole chapter to try and help you come to the place of confidence? Because he knew that that was going to be a real problem among Christians. We'll get to that in just a second. You know, just to take this thought a a step further, consider the book of Jonah for a minute. You know the story of Jonah, the one that got swallowed by the whale, and, you know, God told him to go over there, and he says, I'm not going over there, I'm going over here, I'm getting that, and, um, and then he goes and buys a ticket and gets on the boat and they throw him overboard and his fish comes and then he goes to Nineveh and he does what he's told and he's mad about it and, and you know, the whole city of Nineveh is, is redeemed and he's really not very happy about the whole thing and then he sits on, a, on the top of a hill and he pouts and, and God raises up this plant and covers him and then he raises up a worm dig. You know, he's just angry, ugly, disobedient, rebellious prophet. You know who wrote that book? Jonah. Jonah told you that about himself. I mean, if you were trying to if you were trying to fool people, you wouldn't include stories like that. I mean, it's just it's just things like that, like the book of Jonah, and then then Paul, who who people like to think is a woman hater and a and this um, this very heady theologian that makes up Greek words, which he does. Um, but look what he's done. He's taken a chapter to try and help you. Because one of the greatest struggles for many Christians today is that they, they find it next to impossible. They simply cannot convince themselves that God loves them. And so knowing that about us, he, he goes to this extraordinary length 
to give you every reason to get beyond that, that problem of not being able to convince yourself that God loves you. Because, you know, we know we don't deserve that love, and we know that we're somewhat unlovely and unlovable, and so it's just kind of hard to, you know. But, but let me say this, guys. Um, if, if that rings a bell with you, that is, yeah, he's right. You know, I do find it real hard to convince myself that God loves me. If, if, that, if that rang in any way true, I mean, just a smidgen, just a particle of it, you know, oh, yeah, that's, that's a struggle I've had in the past. Yeah. Let me just tell you something, that that's a hint. You remember that long story I've told? I've told it a dozen times about uh, R.C. Sproul telling me, you don't understand the doctrine of justification by faith? Well, if my sentence up there about finding it difficult to convince yourself that God loves you, if that rang a bell with you, then I'm not the only one that doesn't understand justification by faith. You don't either. (laughs) Because if you're trying to convince yourself that God loves you, that's a hint that you don't understand something. Because, ladies and gentlemen, um, you are on this steadfast, you are steadfastly determined to try and be lovable and be um, an object which would really deserve the love of God, which just simply demonstrates that you've got a flawed understanding of um, the whole redemptive purposes of God. Because, ladies and gentlemen, um, God doesn't love you because you're determined to, to make yourself lovable. In fact, he, did, he, he loved you not because you've earned anything. He loves you because you're in Christ. That's what 8.1 says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It doesn't say there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are really doing a good job. No. Those of us who are in Christ. How does one become in Christ they, lay, they stake a claim by faith in his finished work. For those people, we need fear no condemnation. And he's gone to great extent or great extremes to try and convince you of that. The question that opened up this little section of Romans 8 is contained in verse 35, where the question is, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is there anything that can separate us from the love of Christ? Especially this distress and persecution and famine and making us and sword, etc., etc. And then he throws in that verse 36, as we said last week, to, to just demonstrate that the New Testament uh, doesn't promise you uh, a, a pain-free life. In fact, it promises you just the, the opposite. And, and he uses the Old Testament to prove that. But uh, this, this promised life of difficulty, is this going to ever succeed in separating me from the love of Christ? And then his answer for you is where we stopped last week in verse 37. No. No, it's not going to separate you from the love of Christ. Uh, in fact... Um, in all these things, and by the way, of verse 37, these things refer to that stuff that's mentioned up to 35. Uh, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine. Shall these things separate us from the Lord? No, those things, in those things, you are more than a conqueror uh, through him who loved us. Now, guys, there's a couple of things that I just wanted you to see in kind of broad strokes tonight because we're going to finish the chapter tonight. Um, I, I want you to see first this. Um, I want you to notice that the focus of this passage is not on your love for Christ, but his love for you. Notice in verse um, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
That's not your love for him, but his love for you. Um, look at verse 37. Uh, now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Look at verse 39. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. The, the point is, the focus of this little section is his love for you, not your love for him. Um, it's a darn good thing it is. It's a darn good thing that the focus is on his love. Because if, 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 if my safety depended on my love for him, um, I wouldn't be safe. But the focus here is he's got a love for people who are in Christ. It can anything separate me from that? Nope, nope, nope. Not all this stuff that you're going to experience that is really tough and really hard and makes you cry and all that stuff. In fact, in those things, even in those things, you're more than conquerors. How are you more than conquerors? Because you steeled your will against pain? How is it that you become, that, that you enjoy and experience victory over this persecution? Because you were um, tougher than the rest? No, the text says, you are more than conquerors through him who loved you or loved us. We are more than conquerors because of his love for us, not our love for him, folks. You know, I, I said this Sunday, and I say it again. The greatest danger that the Christian faces is not the persecution that the world has to offer. We know why they dislike us. The greatest danger for the Christian is the enticements of the world. You, you don't need to worry about all the persecution and stuff. Uh, the, the thing that's more damaging to our soul is how, in, how, how distracted we are. But in the midst of the persecution, the danger and the nakedness and the sword, you come out as a, um, as a conqueror and even more than a conqueror. Now, how can, but, but I don't feel like that, Jimmy. I don't feel like uh, I, I handled my pain all that well. Um, how can it, we be called more than conquerors in the face of all that stuff that we so like to avoid? I want to show you a couple of things um, that I hope will adjust your perspective a bit. Go with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, as you know, is the longest of the Psalms. It's, it's just replete with, with wonderful insight. But here, here are two of the wonderful insights. That is, this is why I can say I'm more than a conqueror through trial. Look at verse 67. Psalm 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, I keep your word. You know, guys, any of us who have experienced trial know the truth of that statement. Before the, the affliction... I was a, a, kind of living fast and loose over uh, holy things. But as a result of that bad time, no, no. It is the, it, it is the, one of the impacts of experiencing that is that now I have been drawn back to a great interest in following your word. That's a good benefit, folks, of, of all the pain that you experienced. Um, I was on the phone this morning with um, 
with a brother, um, and he and I were chatting over a situation that's going on in, in, uh, in a family in our church, which is really a, a very difficult time. And this brother is very close to this family who is in this difficult time. And he said over the phone to me this morning, he said, um, you know, these are the kinds of things that adjust your perspective because it's not really important that I get to Destin this summer. (laughs) That's not exactly what he said, but I don't want to tell you exactly what he said because you'd probably know who it was. But but the point is, guys... um, after, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but not anymore. Not after that. Because that thing adjusted me in such a, a positively wonderful way. And then one other, just a couple of verses down. Look at verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted. It was good. Because through it all, I learned your statutes. Guys, Anybody, any of us who have experienced difficulty, you know that's, you know he's right. You know that that's the kind of benefit from pain. My appetite for his word grows. My appetite, my d- determination to obey grows. And as a result of loving his word more and desiring more obedience, I am more than a conqueror in the face of all these things. Yeah, guys. As, as horribly as you might have performed, I, uh, I have used this story a couple of times this week, in fact, but um, R.C. Sproul tells a story about uh, a woman in this congregation who, who had uh, very serious cancer, and he went to the hospital to see her, and, and she had really been uh, a handful in the hospital, and the nurses were all somewhat afraid of her. And, um, and so R.C. goes in to see her and asks her how she's doing, and um, uh, she says, well, you know... Um, uh, Pastor, I just wanted you to know that it's uh, it's hard to be uh, it's hard to praise the Lord when your head is in the toilet. You know, she's throwing up. I guess that's what she was referring to with all of her chemotherapy. But you know what? That's a that's a profound principle. It's hard to be uh, you know real <laughs> you know uh, on uh, victory lane when your head's in the toilet. And as badly as you might have performed in the midst of it, the two of the results. I bet, are the ones that the psalmist points out. Now I keep your word, or at least I sure keep it better than I used to. And now, in the midst of all this, I learn statutes, I learn things about you, I learn beauties and excellences that I have never known before. And consequently, that thing made me more than a conqueror. It was a good thing. Let me show you one other thing, then we'll move on. This is in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians. If you can find that real quick. 2 Corinthians 1. Just a couple of verses. Um, verse 5. 2 Corinthians 1, 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, yes we do, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And then read with me verse 9 or follow as I read it. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Guys, in the midst of all that, what God is up to is is draining us of some some pretty unhealthy self-reliance and bringing us to a place where we find reliance upon Him. It's something almost brand new, but certainly refreshed 
in our understanding of our need to walk in humble reliance upon the living God. Guys, those are good products of all these things that Paul mentions. You know, in the midst of uh, tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, we're more than conquerors because it does these things to us. It increases our appetite for the sacred. I, I hope that's the kind of experience that you've had in the midst of wrestling with your own pain. But you are more than a conqueror through him who loved us. Not through your own determination or your own um, stiff upper lip stuff. You know, um, some of the things that, that Christians say to other Christians when they're in pain absolutely boggle my mind. You know, um, cheer up. Um, every cloud has a silver lining. <laughs> well, some of them don't. Some of them are black all the way through. Well, but you can say this. In the midst of all that you've experienced, there's a, there's a victory, there's a conquest through Him who loved us. And, uh, and the end result is that we're made, we're made to long for the sacred more than prior to the persecution, famine, making this danger a sword. Now, in verses 38 and 39, he wraps this whole thing up. And, and guys... Um, this is a really a. It's it's hard to exegete verses 38 and 39 because they're they're really not so much doctrinal as they are prosaic. There's a, there's a poetic um, um, bent to what Paul does here. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation would, would be able to separate us. From the love of God in Christ Jesus. He, he winds up his whole argument. There's nothing new in verses 38 and 39. Because he has nothing else to add. But he is heaping up words on top of one another. And his, the argument's complete. All he's doing is summarizing. And notice he says, for, I don't know how your, your, your translation says it. Mine says, for I am sure, or I am persuaded, or I am confident. What is it that he's confident of? Um, of what of what is Paul confident? Is he is he confident that his circumstances will soon change? You know, I want to read you this. You don't turn. I read this this morning, and I and I, I I walked away from it thinking, what a man, what a man. This is out of Second Timothy chapter three. I'm going to read you several verses, but um, uh, this was written from a prison in Rome, and he says this. Do your best to come see me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychius, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he is strongly opposed to our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Paul is at the end of his life. He's in a prison in Rome, and that's what he says. You know what he says? They all deserted me. And that's the guy that over here says, nothing will be able to separate me from the love of Christ. What is it that he's confident in? Is he confident that his circumstances are going to improve? 
that his circumstances are going to get better. Because let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this guy really experienced some pretty poor circumstances. Everybody deserted me. I'm all on this. And Timothy, when you come, could you bring me a coat? Because it's cold in this jail. His confidence, gang, is not that his circumstances are going to change. His confidence is that nothing, nothing, nothing will separate him from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You know, um, I prayed this morning. I said, Lord, you know, if, if Jesus Christ is the standard, oh, how far I fall short of the standard. But you know what, God? If Paul were the standard, I, 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 I don't measure up to that. But I have been saying this to you for three, or at least one semester, guys. Probably the greatest motive to holy and godly separated living is to be able to say nothing, nothing is going to separate me. You know, the Roman government's not going to do it. And the fact that all my friends deserted me, that's not going to do it. And the fact that I'm cold in this prison, that's not going to do it. There's nothing that's going to separate me from the love of God. And and with that kind, that's, that's his persuasion. That's his confidence. Isn't that interesting? Here's a man who goes out and lives with this, this, this life of full devotion to Christ, who's got this confidence. But we don't live um, similarly. Do you think it might have something to do with our lack of confidence in the love of God for us? I do. I, I, I think, ladies and gentlemen, that, the, that this ache in our souls to be certain is the thing that sucks the life out of our, out of our souls. If I could do anything for you pastorally, it would be able, by the power of the Holy Ghost, is to convince you that nothing, nothing will separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. If I could get that across, I can't. I can't. <laughs> I can't. Con- but once you get convinced of that, then, then, then life takes on a whole new dimension. Um, just a couple of quick things and I'll quit. Um, I want you to notice that the only love of God that Paul knows anything about is the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, back when I was, uh, um, well, I became a Christian in 70, but in those, those 70s, early, early 70s, one of the big things was what, what we called, I'm not sure what you called it, but we called it just the social gospel. And the social gospel talked a lot about the love of God and the love of God for people and everybody was loved by God, yada, 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 yada. Um, and yet, they had no love of a gospel, that is, the gospel, that talks about the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. My, my point is simply this, ladies and gentlemen. There is no love of God apart from the, from the cross of Christ. The only love of God that Paul knew anything about is the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Love of God separated from 
Christ Jesus is not the love of God. It's the love of something. It might be the love of love. I don't know what it is. But the only love that is worth having is the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We can never um, separate the love of God from what has been done in Christ Jesus. There's no way to get the love of God apart from what has been done by Christ Jesus. That's the only love of God that love of God or that God has is the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And then finally, um, uh, real quick, gang, what what we have got to get squared away in our in our souls is that what matters is God's love to us, not my love to Him. Now. Do I love him? Yes, I do. Do you love him? Yes, you do. Is it, is, it a, is it a love of which you are proud? Is it a love of which you could boast? Mine ain't. But the issue is not yours for him. It is his for you. You had best thank God alongside me that my salvation or your salvation doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on your love for him. It depends on his love to you. Because um, my love is flawed and defective and impure. And, and, um, but the focus of this text, as I said as I began, is his love for us. My, my safety is determined by his firm grasp of me, not my flawed grasp of him. The reason that I am safe is not because I stay steadfastly connected to him, but because he stays steadfastly connected to me. I want, you to, I, want to, I want to show you that. Just one quick, and then we're done. It's in 1 Peter chapter 1. I'll read you that, and with that we'll quit. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Ladies and gentlemen, do you see the beauty of what's said there? I have a book in my library entitled, How to Be Born Again. It's written by a man whose name you would immediately recognize. And um, I don't know where I got the book, but I'll show it to you one day. And it gives you steps as to how, what steps that you can take as to how to produce this being born again. Notice what the text says. Blessed be God, the Father, because God the Father has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you. That's what, he, that's what he caused you to be born again to. Right there. To an inheritance that is unperishable, undefiled, and fading, kept in heaven. It's waiting for you. And then verse 5. Who, that is referring to us, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for our salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Why am I safe? Because the same God that caused me to be born again to a living hope is the God who is guarding me and keeping me 
that God has identified himself with all those who are in Christ Jesus. And to those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Ever. Let's pray. Our Father, I do pray that by the power and might of the Holy Ghost, that you would somehow drill into our skulls, our heads, our hearts, whatever part of us that's needed to get it. Help us get this. That, there, that neither angels nor principalities nor things created nor things uncreated nor things in heaven nor things under the earth. There is no, no power, no, no affliction. There is nothing. Nothing that will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Father, it is because we're so distracted with so much else that we rarely seek to grasp the great profundity of knowing that we're loved. Would you do that, Lord? Would you give us a greater confidence? One that rivals Paul's. And then our hope is that our lives might be more Pauline as we uh, live, as we stride through this life with the utmost confidence that we are safe. Do that for Jesus' sake. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you and good night.